Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I've never been skydiving, but I've zoomed in on Google Earth really fast. I go out the door, thousand one, thousand two. He's like, oh, perfect exit. And then I start to flat spin uncontrollably. Belly back spin, belly back spin, just in a washing machine. Because I was just too tense and I was fighting and I didn't know what to do. I lost altitude awareness. I fought it all the way down to 5,000 feet. And finally, so I lit a flat spun for a mile and a half through the sky in a wingsuit. And then just finally it was like, dude, just chill out, relax, arch. Arch out of it, fly out of it, look at my altitude. I'm like, oh, I'm at pull altitude. Pull my parachute, not a single line twist. And it was totally fine. But I got down and I was like, dude, I want to be this wingsuit base jumper. I was so demoralized. Like I was so lost. I was like, that was the hardest thing I'd ever did. I'm mentally broken. Like, damn, this is a tough one. I'm Doc and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirt bags and hiker trash. I'm Doc and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. 
Well, this week we are going to be taking to the skies and talking about another type of outdoor adventure. This is the first time we have ventured into this realm, and I am really excited to talk to our guest today. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Joe Lowmuller, Senior Rigger at Skydive Moab. How's it going, Joe? Really great, mate. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Now, I mentioned that you work for Skydive Moab, but we're going to be talking about plenty of adventures besides traditional skydiving. You're also a base jumper and a wingsuit flyer. Is that right? Correct. I have never talked to a wingsuit flyer, so I'm, I'm expecting some good stories today. I'll do my best. Okay. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before? You know, I actually haven't, and I uh, I apologize. I, I meant to, but I just got a little busy there, and uh, just didn't work out for me. So once again, no, I do no. apologize, but I'm going to no, have to future for no. sure. No apology necessary. I was only asking to make sure that you are aware of a segment we do towards the end of our episode called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where you're going to share some wisdom with our uh, listeners out there to make their next outdoor experience even better. So be thinking about that. Can do. All right. The Must Bring Gear Review. On to our first segment, which is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you're to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day adventure, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Joe, what is your must bring piece of gear? I have to imagine in all the, all the things that you're involved in, all of your adventure pursuits, there had to be some multi-day adventures out there. What, uh, what do you like to bring with you? It's, uh, it's funny. It's actually a uh, really interesting question because i'm headed up to canada hopefully to link up my buddy cody matichuk momentarily here and i mean you can't go without a wingsuit and a parachute because without that i can't really do exactly what i'm specifically aiming for because those are my main passions um base jumping and wingsuiting but we're trying to tailor it into multi-day adventures just like you said because no one's really done that yet um so we're trying to figure out rather than the quantity, like how many jumps can you get in a day, which is really a Europe thing and a skydive thing. We're starting to tailor ourselves into how could you hike for multiple days for one epic jump and hands down an ultralight uh, camping or sorry, sleeping bag and uh, likely an ultralight bivy. And from there, wingsuit, parachute, whatever you can stuff it all in, likely just a standard stuff sack. Um, yeah, those are my four things. I know you asked for two, but I'm rolling with four on this one. That's all right. The more, the better. Now, how much does a wingsuit and a parachute weigh? Well, uh, really great question. There's options for ultralight in the wingsuit and or base jump environment. So they can cut it down quite significantly. I live in Moab primarily. So I don't like ultralight wingsuits because I'm in a particularly harsh environment. So my wingsuit weighs around a couple pounds, two to three pounds. They can cut that by, you know, several hundred grams. I'm actually not super up on it because the first time I bought an ultralight wingsuit, I actually destroyed it in literally um, a couple months of having, I think four or five months of having it because I had a bit of a harsh landing and I wasn't able to do exactly what I wanted to. And upon landing, I stood it up, but there was a rock between my legs and that split my wingsuit about two to three feet up the center because it's literally, I called it a trash bag. 
It's so paper thin. It's like way less than a hefty trash bag. I'm talking, it is like amazingly thin and it's cool what they're doing. But um, as for what I do, which is particularly base jumping in the American West, um, the several hundred gram savings is not worth the durability that I need. So um, I roll with all full weight wingsuits, but I do have an ultralight uh, container and parachute, which drops a couple pounds or plus on that system. So um, I do try to drop weight in my parachute. And like I said, a container system, effectively the backpack or the harness that you put on. Um, but I'm not willing to savor uh, or waver the durability in the wingsuit just yet. But everything else is totally good to go. Yeah, I have to I have to imagine that uh, being a wingsuit flyer, it's got to be a little bit nerve wracking. And to have something as thin as a, a trash bag or thinner than a trash bag. I mean, that's not something you want to skimp on. No, it's 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 quite intimidating. You're standing on the exit wearing it and you're kind of moving around, just doing your natural movements like, OK, I'm ready to go. And it literally is like, it sounds so strange. I never got used to it. I tried it once. I don't think I'll ever go back. Wow. Now, if you were to do a multi-day backpacking trip in to do this epic, epic jump, what do you think all the gear would would weigh all all combined, do you think? It's really hard to say because my my mate's been kind of forefronting this and this was his dream. And I'm just kind of coming along as the partner. So we're just trying to hope to make this a reality and literally the next month, actually, I should be leaving on July 5th to go link up with him. Um, so yeah, it's very hard to say, but I can tell you as of right now, with just two liters of water, um, a snack bar, my helmet, a couple GoPros, my parachute system and my wingsuit, I'm already at like 30 plus pounds. So I would assume I'd have to add at least a 20, 20 pounds or so to that and need a stream, which we don't have many up in Moab, but I hear there's plenty up in Canada. So yeah, um, I'm going to need some information from a mate for sure and some expertise. And then from there, at least another 10, 20 pounds of gear, but I should be able to make it happen with, I would guess, and this is just from the top or from the hip, 50 pounds or so. Yeah. Wow. That, that's a lot of weight to carry for a multi-day hike. Um, but you're, what you're describing is, uh, a documentary I would pay money to watch. I mean, we, we've all watched those, those different adventure documentaries out there. Um, and if this one's about, a, a multi-day hike to this epic location and wingsuiting off of it or base jumping off of it, uh, that would be something I don't want to see. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, the trippiest part about it really, I think for me is I've only opened a couple of jumps. Uh, both slider off and wingsuiting. Um, we might have to return to that later to explain what slider off is. But to open a new exit, I need to be the first one there, like in climbing, you get the first ascent. It's, uh, it's quite an experience. It's really strange. You're up there, and we're definitely, we're already pushing the limits for sure of what's possible. Um, and that's the reason why you can open a jump these days. You're not, it's just like in climbing. Like you can't really just find a five, five that hasn't been climbed before. Can you? Right. It doesn't work. Um, so anything that hasn't been jumped is probably because it's right there on the edge of, if it's possible to be jumped, unless, you know, you're truly in a place that no one's ever been before, which is very hard to find. But I can tell you in Moab, uh, I've only opened one exit here, wingsuiting and, uh, 
I, when I remember walking up, I was all gung ho. I was like, no, I did the numbers. I did the trigonometry. Like it's good. I've got this. This is easy. And I was talking a big game to one of my mentors actually. And uh, then we got up there and we're standing on the exit. And he's like, man, it was cool to see that dial back in you and how you went from so confident to like, wait a minute, let me run the numbers again. Um, like pretty, pretty somber and probably relaxed as I am now, not all hyped up, right? Like I'm going in the championship game. And uh, he's like, man, that was, that was really cool to see the way you took a step back, just triple check the numbers. And I was like, I'm going to do this anyways, because I know no one's done this, but I think this is possible for me and my margins. And uh, yeah, I just, I don't know how to explain other than that. It's uh, it was a weird experience in my own head for sure. All right. I've got a bunch of follow-up questions, but I have a feeling I'm going to, I'm going to try and save them from what we, from when we get into uh, the deep discussion of wingsuit flying. I've got questions about trigonometry and margins. And you mentioned something called cider, cider off slider off slider off. Okay. So we'll, we'll come back to all of those. Cause I, w- I want more, I want more details on that. But uh, before we get there uh, you know, in, in the, Amer- the American through hiking tradition, uh, those people who are hiking long trails like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail, they are assigned, they're given trail names by the, the people that they hike with. And so uh, a lot of unusual and funny trail names based on your maybe where you're from or maybe some kind of uh, peculiarity that you have or something that happened to you on the trail. Is there any any similar tradition in skydiving or base jumping? You guys pick up pick up nicknames that uh, kind of follow you around from, from jump to jump? Uh, I mean, we, we name each jump, we name each exit point. So that way people can reference it properly mm-hmm. because we're, we're truly trying to build this up for other people. Um, we understand that more and more people are going to want to do this. The only reason I ever started wanting to wingsuit is because at some point I saw it on YouTube. And when I got to skydiving, I specifically said, I was like, I want a wingsuit base jump. I, I, can I start with that? And they're like, whoa, pump the brakes, man. You've got to slow down. Like, is what you need to do is learn how to skydive. And I said, bet. Okay, cool. How do I do that? I learned how to skydive. And I said, whoa, man, you need 200 skydives to wingsuit. I said, bet. Okay, I'm going to get 200 skydives. I'm going to learn how to wingsuit. And then I did that. And then you learn how to base jump. And I got like 500 slider off jumps and like 1,000 wingsuit skydives. And then I went to Europe and I learned how to wingsuit base jump. Right. So it's a long drawn out, like takes a lot of effort and a lot of determination, but I mean, to anyone out there that wants to do it, they definitely can do it, but you've got to keep your eye on the prize and want to get after it hundred percent. Right. But have you ever, have you ever picked up a nickname? Have they ever given you a nickname or they just call you Joe? Oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great, that was a great explanation. Really valuable information. Yeah. I got a little distracted there. Yeah. I mean, how much time you got when I first got to Moab, I was driveway Joe because I was living in a driveway out of my camper at a mate's place. And then I was a super hungry young kid. I guess this is a good segue. So I was a young Joe and they called me that for a long time. And then it turned into a wingsuit Joe. And then eventually I switched my Instagram handle to Moab Joe. And uh, yeah, that stuck pretty well as I went to other places. A lot of people do just funny because you can't really create your own nickname, but uh, a lot of places I roll up, they're Moab Joe. Oh, cool. Welcome. Yada, yada. 
And then they tried to switch it to K-Pow Joe because I was at a new drop zone and uh, they wanted to call me that because effectively they were trying to get me to like work there for the next season. I was like, no, I got to stay in Moab. This is where I'm at. And uh, yeah. And then I've got a bunch with a lot of uh, cuss words in it where you pretty much just add them all together because skydivers are a pretty hard bunch and base jumpers as well. But uh, I think I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. I love it. Moab Joe. That's how, that's how I found you on, it was on Instagram under that handle. So that's, that's great. All right. Hey, our next segment here. It's the hiking pole. It's the hiking pole. And that's P O L L like a survey, not P O L E like the, the kind of thing you hold in your hand when you're on the trail. And really this is, it's called the hiking pole, but I've changed it up a little bit. We, we are kind of dealing and wrestling with life's big questions here. It's going to help me based on your answers, give you a score from one to a hundred on the sanity scale, you know, with 100 being completely sane and one being completely insane. Okay. Now, if I, if I asked, if I asked your, uh, your girlfriend or your fiance that just came home there or your buddies out at the jump sites, you know, how would they rank Moab Joe on a sanity scale from one to a hundred? Where, where do you think they'd put you? My friends, um, they'd say, well, he's pretty much like us and we get it. My family and like people that knew me before, they'd say, yeah, he's crazy. We don't get it. <laughs> Yeah, that's so, interesting. So, so your fellow skydivers would 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 rank you, and wingsuit flyers would rank you uh, a little saner because you have a similar mind to them. But your family would be it'd be a lower scale. Yeah, I think so, hundred percent, no doubt. I mean, they're they're starting to get it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so as I said, this, these are seven questions. These are seven of the big questions that uh, our society is wrestling with. You ready? Oh yeah. Okay, you nervous? Not really. <laughs> okay. Very good. You, I mean, if you're, if you're a wingsuit flyer, I mean, you've got to have nerves of steel. So. Yeah. I mean, talking to people is pretty chill, mate. Just be honest and all that. And his <laughs> rain. All right. First question. Do you roll your toilet paper over or under? Over. Over. Why is that? It's just easier to grab that way. Of course. Makes sense. All, all yeah. ergonomics, under, right? Under what you're going to reach, like, you know, like, I mean, that already looks like menacing, like, bam, grab it, sort of. <laughs> nice. Okay. Hey, this next question, I think I already know the answer to. I'm going to ask it anyway. Cats or dogs? Love them both. Okay. Yeah, I, I really do. I'm, uh, I mean, I got a dog here because the fiance is allergic to cats. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I really love all animals. So, I'd have a cat here right now, but she's allergic. So it's pretty simple. We're rolling with dogs now. And what kind of dog is that? Uh, border collie, this, that, whatever. Uh, he's a, a everything. Uh, uh, rescue dog. So uh, he, they said he was a chihuahua. And when we got him, of course, he was this big. And now he's 40 pounds. So pretty standard story from uh, any rescue operation. They'll tell you one thing, and then they turn into 40 to 80, 100 pounds. You never know. That is one big chihuahua. What's his name? Biscuit. Biscuit. Say hello. I know you, you've had Let's a lot. Biscuit. Yeah. Oh, if, you, if, you're, if you're listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify, you need to stop and, and go over to the YouTube version of this. You can see Biscuit there. Adorable. Hmm. All right. And did you grow up with cats? No, actually not. But uh, around 15 or so when my parents got divorced, my mom did end up getting a cat or two. So... I guess that's around growing up, but no, as kids, we only had dogs. And then once I got older, my mom did end up with a cat or two and they're really cool. 
So yeah, like I said, I've had experience with both. Yeah. Very different types of animals though. I mean, dogs, I mean, they're, they're all in, they're invested in you. I mean, they, they show you all the affection and, and uh, cats though, they're a little bit aloof at times. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, they do their own thing, but I also do. So I, I get it. Like, yeah, they're self-reliant, which is an important uh, skill. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number three, we could probably spend the, an entire episode on this question alone. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No, hot dog's a hot dog. <laughs> so what is the definition of a sandwich? What, what, what makes a sandwich? I don't know. You'll, you'll know when you see it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, definitely not a hot dog though. I'll tell you that much. You are adamant. You are firm on that position. Hot dog is not a sandwich. Hot dog is a hot dog. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd be willing to, you know, have someone change my mind, but as for right now, yeah, no way. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number four. Which is the better superpower, invisibility or flying? Flying. Uh, easy, easy for you, right? That was that was like I, on a tee for you. The only thing I do in my dreams. So I've never been invisible in my dreams. So that doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, next. <laughs> okay. All right. Question number five. Is it ever acceptable to eat pizza with a fork and knife? I mean, if that's your if that's your jam, sure. But I, I wouldn't, no. You're just kind of a live and let live kind of guy, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, have you ever seen the, uh, I mean, I think trends are everything in this world. Uh, have you ever seen the Seinfeld episode where he starts to, George starts to eat the Snickers bar with the fork and knife. He's like, what are you gonna eat it with your hands? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you could, you could sell it. I bet you people would start to do it, but yeah, I'm not going to try and find utensils to make my life harder when I can just pick it up with my hands and do it already. Like, <laughs> All right. Now, question number six, should the person in the middle seat of an airplane get both armrests? Oh, that is a stumper. I mean, no, that doesn't sound fair, like, at all. They're stuck in the middle for one reason or another. They booked late or, you know, whatever happened to them. Uh, I think you got to be friendly with everyone. You know, at one point, you're leaning this way. At one point, they're leaning that way. You can get both at one point, and Yeah. I think, you just sound- gotta, I think you got to vibe that one out. No, I, I don't think they're entitled to it if that's the actual question. So no, no. I love the way you reasoned that out. That is a total Moab Joe answer right there. You kind of, you know, well, they, you know, if they got it, they, you know, they might've booked it late. So, I mean, that's their own fault, but you gotta, you gotta coexist. You gotta vibe with them. Yeah. You know, some people have made the argument that the person who has the window seat has the window, right. And the person who has the aisle has easy access to, you know, get up and down and hit the bathroom. The poor guy in the middle, though, I mean, why not give him those two armrests? I mean, to be fair, if I'm on the window seat or on the aisle, I'm going to lean one way or the other and probably give it to him. But I, I wouldn't get if I was stuck in the middle seat, I wouldn't get in and just go. These are mine. Like I would look around and be like, OK, like I'm going to kind of lean out of each person's way because I'm just not trying to be anybody's way. And like just trying to get there and mind my own business and. Yeah, that's it, really, for me. Hey, uh, Moab Joe, how many how many armrests on the uh, the row of seats on the parachute planes? None. None. Absolutely none. Most <laughs> of the time, I'm shoved in the middle. We've got like little uh, saddle seats, I guess you could call them. So yeah, there's no armrests whatsoever. There's a little rope that you can pull on to help pull yourself to the end of the bench when you're doing tandems. Um, 
But yeah, no, a lot of the times we put 19 people in the plane and three of those seats are in the middle aisle. So the middle aisle is the person sitting here. Imagine like my head was here. You're shoved, you're sitting on the floor in between them. And when the TI needs to like load up their person, I just lean one way to get out of his way. And then I lean one way to get out of his way. And I just like squeeze in between them and just try and hide for most of the flight and like try and keep my customer happy and whatnot. You can't see out the window. You can't see nothing. All you see is down the aisle and it's just, you're just stuffed in there like sardines. Yeah. It's pretty comical actually. And this is a follow-up question. It doesn't count towards the hiking pool or your score, but is, is part of the reason there's, there's not windows is you don't necessarily want your client to see uh, how high you guys are and uh, cause them to give them more anxiety. So I should clarify that there's tons of windows on the plane. Okay. But when you're stuck in the middle and sitting in between them, you're so low that their bodies are here and you're literally like you're sitting on the floor. So no, there's tons of beautiful windows and beautiful views, but you can only see it if you're sitting on the saddle benches, right? So we put the extra employees in the middle so we can get more people on the plane and more customers on the plane and more people can enjoy the view. And I don't need to see the view because honestly, I've got like, I think I hit 4,330 skydives today. So me seeing the view is not a big deal. I just need to sit down, shut up, you know, answer the questions needed and then jump out of the plane when the time comes and do my job. So. Got it. Got it. All right. Final question. Are introverts too quiet or extroverts too loud? That's a rough one for me. Cause I feel like I'm a little bit of both. <laughs> I'm definitely too loud sometimes. And I feel like I'm too quiet sometimes. So I'm gonna have to split that one right down the middle, a little bit of both. We could all, uh, we could all go in either direction, either point and uh, probably learn something from each other. Absolutely. Hey, and another Moab Joe answer. That's perfect. All right. Hey, let me do some quick uh, calculation here. I got to carry the three. We're going to divide by pi and uh, multiply by root seven. And we're going to adjust for the appropriate uh, jumping altitude for your first skydive attempt. And I come up with a solid score of 73. 73. 73. Yeah. So almost sane and decently sane. <laughs> you're, you're veering towards the sane side, which is surprising to me because here I am talking to a wingsuit flyer. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> now, based on the rest of our, our interview tonight, um, that score may be adjusted up or down, depending on, on how it goes here. So, Cool. <laughs> but if it holds true, you can go out and get yourself a hat with 73 emblazoned on the, on the front there. Will do. Okay. All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail here, let's back up a little bit. We would love to hear about your background, kind of where you grew up, what sports and hobbies you played uh, as, a, as a kid, and how did you get involved in these high-flying adventures? Oh man, that was a lot. Um, well, yeah, take, Louis, just take it piece by piece. That's all right. Yeah. St. Louis, Missouri. Um, pretty standard. Um, didn't really want for much as a kid, you know, parents did well. Uh, yeah, I got divorced at 15, like another, uh, pretty standard story. And, uh, yeah, from there really got into, uh, let me know if I'm missing something, but I got into parachutes because, uh, I dropped out of college I was pretty lost, honestly. Um, was partying too much. Didn't know where I was going. Um, was just told, just go to college. You'll figure it out. Go to college. You'll figure it out. Um, the cookie cutter lifestyle of St. Louis, Missouri did not work for me at all. Um, it broke me. In fact, I just got confused by it because I couldn't find anyone 
other than like a couple friends in college that I learned how to rock climb there at a gym at the, uh, was it Mizzou? Yeah. University. Right. And, uh, I had one buddy that was like, you know, I'm kind of living vicariously through you. It seems like you're struggling a little bit. You don't know what you want. Like, I wish I kind of would have like maybe gone a different path, but I just finished my degree. And it was almost at that moment where I was like, you know what? Like, I don't think I can finish this. Like I need to do something different. So uh, I ended up dropping out of college and uh, yeah, I cleaned myself up from the partying and just told my mom, I was like, I'm just going to go to Colorado. She's like, what are you going to do there? I was like, I don't know. I'm going to ski. I've always liked skiing. Like we only done it a couple of times, but I'm going to go learn how to ski better. She's like, well, good luck. And uh, yeah, I just drove to uh, Colorado, stayed on my brother's couch for a couple of weeks and then got a job at Vail working the lifts. Rocked that for like a season, started working in uh, restaurants, skied 100 days a year for three years, and then saw a billboard about skydiving. I was like, you know, I never went skydiving. That's been calling me for a really long time. So I started calling different drop zones. It was like, I want to skydive, this, that, and the other, blah, blah. And effectively, I got on the line with the person that's my boss to this day. And I just had, you know, a long-winded conversation with today. Um. And he talked to me and it was really nice. He wasn't about, well, I'm going to need this much money down or blah, blah, blah. He was just super calm, cool and collected. He's like, just come out. And if you like it, you like it, you can buy it a jump at a time. And if you don't, well, then good luck. And so I went with them and uh, yeah, I got my license and started working there the next year. And I've been working there for six years. Fantastic. Now you mentioned a brother. You, you, you crash on your brother's couch. Any other siblings or just you and your brother? Yeah, I got uh, two sisters. Two sisters. Yeah. And wh- where do you fall in the birth order? Uh, I got a twin. My twin brother is my twin. So we were born 32 minutes apart and I was born before him. <laughs> so I guess I'm three out of four. Okay. Three out of four. Very good. Now you, you mentioned something that kind of uh, intrigued me. You said that the cookie cutter lifestyle kind of broke you. Yeah. Can you, can you expound on that? I mean, you, you just oh, realized sure. you didn't fit into the traditional mold. Yeah. I mean, maybe that was it. I mean, I was a kid, you know, I was only 19, 20, I think I was 21 when I left home. Maybe I was 22. doesn't matter. Um, it's just that no one really had any answers for like your, you know, kids are brutally honest. And I realized that, 20. You're not technically a kid. You're an adult, but I felt like a kid because I didn't know what I wanted to do or yeah, nothing, what I, who I wanted to be and blah, blah, blah. And the only answer anyone had for me was, well, you go to school and you just get this degree and then you go do that work. And that's what you do. That's your life. And I, I couldn't understand it. Like, yeah, I, I just like looking back now, I get it. I could not understand it. Like, I don't know. It's literally, Press, plant, press, plant, like put it in the tray. You get your job, you do your thing, live in your hometown. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't look on down on anyone that's an accountant and anything. I think that's amazing. We need lawyers. We need police officers. We need doctors. I think it's so awesome. Any service that anyone does, janitors, like there's no profession to be looked down upon. But the way I was raised, I felt like, people were looking down on certain professions 
and looking up on other professions. And I didn't look up to the professions that people were looking up to. And I didn't look down on the people, the professions that people were looking down on. So it just, I, I just couldn't understand it. So I had to go figure it out for myself. Right. And it sounds like you had that, that realization fairly, fairly early, you know, 19, 20 years old. And it's, it's never, it's never too late to have a realization about yourself. Uh, your story kind of reminds me of another guest that I've had on a few times on the podcast, uh, Ben Vaughn, his trail name is ginger balls, but that's another story. Um, ginger balls. Ginger balls. Yes. He's, nice. he's, a, he's hilarious, but he was, he was military. He was, he was uh, a Lieutenant commander in the Navy and got his, his 20 plus years in and retired and decided that he wanted to do through hiking. He'd never done it before, but it kind of gotten into his head. And so he showed up at the Appalachian trail. And once he finished the Appalachian trail, he decided to want to do the, the PCT and the, the, uh, the continental divide trail uh, to become a triple crowner. But now what he's doing, in addition to taking time off to hike occasionally, he, he also is a snowboard instructor in Colorado during the season. And during the off season, he goes up to Alaska and is a dog sled trainer. And he, he didn't know anything about dogs. He, I think just recently, I think last year was his first year up in Alaska doing this, but he is absolutely loving life up there. Uh, just working dog sled teams and taking people out. Just awesome. Yeah. I mean, that's radical. There's uh, nothing better than following your passions, doing your thing. And uh, yeah, serving people or serving others at the same time. Right. And animals, for that matter. And animals. That's right. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to get into some tales of adventure in the skies. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your pod podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. 
With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We were talking to Moab Joe. Just heard about his uh, his childhood and growing up and him not quite fitting into the cookie cutter lifestyle, as he phrased it. And I totally understand that. Um, and with this podcast, Joe, usually we're talking to long trail hikers like Ginger Balls or we're talking to, uh, you know, maybe short guy people who do shorter trails or uh, we've ventured off into some other areas like some adventure kayaking and uh, adventure racing. We've also had big wall climbers. Um, so, but I think our, our audience is going to be really intrigued to hear about uh, adventures in the sky with you and all, all the different types of adventures you do. Yeah. I mean, um, 99% of stunting is walking uphill slowly. So uh, we start every base jump by walking uphill uh, thousands of feet of vert Um the slider off guys don't understand why I want to hike a couple hours or three, four hours to do a bigger jump and get a 30 second or a minute or two wingsuit flight. But at the end of the day, all base jumpers are the same unless they have a helicopter, which is really cool by the way, but I personally don't. So uh, we all have to walk uphill and whether it's five minutes, 10 minutes or four hours, we're all hikers. So we all have that battle or that uh, commonality. Okay. And let's start with the basics here. Let's start with base jumping and base is an acronym and it stands for buildings, antenna, spans, and earth. Correct. And other, but others not really in the acronym, but yes, you got it exactly right. Baseo maybe. Yeah, no, it's just base. That doesn't flow. doesn't flow. Well, that was the funny part when I went to get my base number. Um, they tried to tell me that my building was an other, and a lot of people are giving me shit on the internet. It's like, oh, I jumped this building. They're like, oh, that's just a, that's just a little silo. That's an other. I'm like, but it was built by man. It's a building. Like, no, it doesn't count. And then actually after I had to prove myself and make an edit of all the footage I made from how I got into this building and how there was doors and windows and like what it was made of. And I had to argue it, which was pretty funny. I didn't know that was a thing. But I was deemed or it was deemed that what I jumped was a building and I became a base jumper on that day with that jump. So, yeah. So you said base number. There's some kind of it sounds like there's some kind of certification process to become an official base jumper and get your official number. Is, is that right? There, there is. Um, it's pretty friendly, but I guess I'll, I'll show you my card. I don't know how close I got to get it for you. Hopefully you can see it at all. But yeah, all it says on the front is. Uh, Base Jumper, United States Association. Carl Banish is the founder. And it's got a cheeky little um, animation there of the four different objects you described in a person in front. And then, uh, yeah, effectively, once you apply or send an email to this organization, they'll give you your official number on the date that you get it. And I'm a 2439. So, uh, yeah, that's my base number. I'm the 2439th base jumper ever certified, uh, in the world. So, wow. Maybe that's your nickname. 2439. Although that's a lot of syllables. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. A lot of people do get the tattoos on them and I'm a big fan of tattoos. So 
I'll probably get it someday, but uh, I just haven't gotten it yet. And uh, I, don't know, I think it's fun, but I've never really been much into, uh, I mean, as we spoke about before, truly being a card carrying member or anything. I just thought it was fun once I uh, did get the fourth object. I was like, ah, oh, yeah, all I do is hit these people up. I wonder what my number would be. And uh, that's what it was. So now does that card, does that get you some kind of discount at maybe Starbucks or at the local movie theater or Not is you, is it, you flash nope. that card and that's how you landed your fiance? Nope, nope, nope. Uh, yoga and Instagram landed me my fiance, which is the funny part. Um, but I actually just kind of pulled it out to show you usually it's, I, uh, yeah, I just went and found it for this, uh, specific event. I don't really have it on me or anything like that. (laughs) (laughs) It it gets you nothing at all other than, uh, yeah, I don't know, street cred with your friends or something like that. Yeah. No, (laughs) you get to throw out there that you're a card carrying member of something. So yeah, it's, it's silly. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of the acronym base buildings, that's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. Let's go through the others though. What, what, what would qualify as an antenna? Um, pretty, I mean, you said it antenna, um, they can be, uh, tri-weaved or like freestanding. They can be just little, uh, monopods that you climb with a bunch of guide wires on them. Um, it could be 300 feet tall, hundred feet tall, 2000 feet tall. Um, yeah, pretty much anything that, looks like an antenna is definitely an antenna. And if it's over a hundred feet tall or a hundred feet tall, you can base jump it. Okay. So antenna would like those huge power line structures. Would that qualify? That sounds pretty dangerous. Or are we talking strictly, you know, TV and radio type antennas? I would say more so TV and radio. Uh, I guess the, uh, the power poles might identify as other but that would be, you'd have to go to the base community and uh, argue about that. And they would be happy to, for sure. Like, I, I would say, honestly, I would say, um, I bet you that's another Like, Okay. But I don't really know about other until 2020 when I got my number. And I got my number four years into base jumping because I didn't really care. I was just a Moab cliff jumper. So, um, you know, I might have to go to some friends and ask them what they think about that. But right off the top of my head, I would say power lines would be in uh, other and antennas are antennas. Okay. All right. That makes sense. And I'm glad you're going to take care of that because I really don't want to call anybody up and get into an argument with them. So I'm just just kind of laid back a little bit here. So yeah, no worries. I'll I'll take care of it. (laughs) All right. Now the third one spans that those are bridges, right? Correct. Okay. And then earth is like cliffs. Exactly. Right. Exactly. You got it. Okay. Now I did a little research leading into this and I see that the lowest base jump was 95 feet by Felix Baumgartner from Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio. Yeah. um, And that's a, you know, it's funny because I saw that and I had to ask my buddy and my buddy said he's done one that's like 76 feet here in Moab. So I guess he needs to apply for the world record because he's got him smoked. I guess so by what, 19 feet? Yeah. And I myself, I myself have done a 90 foot base jump. So I guess I also should be a world record holder. Send in that paperwork. Yeah. It's, it's odd because uh, they have, they have listed Felix Baumgartner as the lowest. And he's also the same guy that for um, Red Bull jumped out of how high was he? He was, he was like almost in space, right? Stratosphere jump. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that that kind of makes sense though. Right. To uh, the guy that got the highest jump would do the lowest jump and did all the paperwork on it. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense. 
we're we're all just out here having fun. We don't really care if people know our names or we have some record. Is uh, honestly, we just do. And I, this is probably gonna come off wrong, but we just do honest work down at the drop zone and do our thing, and we don't really contact people and tell them about it too much. I like to post the internet because it's something I enjoy doing and I enjoy sharing. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, any sort of recognition for any of this stuff, I mean, we're all we're all the same. We're just people. Uh, I'm not really interested. I've never liked competitions. I've never really liked records. I just want to go out there and do my thing and make my money, work my job, and share the love of the sport with people. So uh, anyone that gets the record, power to them. That's awesome. I personally am not really interested in it at all. <laughs> nice. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know why that'd be controversial. That makes sense. You're down yeah. to earth. You're, you're a base jumper who's down to earth. How about that? Sounds good to me. Yeah, right. makes- uh, along those lines, though, the highest jump listed is 25,300 feet off of Choi Oyu, the sixth highest mountain in the world by uh, Valerie Razoff. Yeah, that's radical. That's pretty cool. That um, is a long fall. I definitely can't speak to that one because we just have really low cliffs here. So when I uh, when I saw 95, I was like, that's interesting. I'm going to ask around on that one. Yeah, the 25,000 definitely never come close to that. So yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. Now, now, earlier when I asked you about your nickname, you took us through kind of the process of how you get to be a uh, eventually become, get get to become a wingsuit wingsuit flyer. You start off with normal parachuting, normal skydiving, then you go to uh, is it base jumping and then wingsuit? Yeah, uh, depending upon where you're at, um, but pretty much, yeah, most always start with some skydiving, start with some base jumping, wingsuit skydiving. And then wingsuit base jumping would be the easiest way to explain it. Okay. And is there any difference in the types of parachutes between uh, traditional parachutes and base jumping parachutes? Tremendously. Yeah. Let's hear it. So base jump systems are as simplified as humanly possible. They don't have deployment bags or I'm going to try and keep all the vernaculars out of it. Um, they don't have reserves, so they don't have a second system or second parachute system. They're not regulated by the FAA. They're totally unregula- unregulated. They're their own thing, and they are simplified down to just the most basic system you could possibly make to have the least failures or, you know, the least, um, yeah, I guess, uh, possibilities of failure involved at all. And skydiving, we've got like race cars. My parachute's 69 square feet. I can do 100 miles an hour at the ground do 80 miles an hour across the ground. And it's, it's a sports car. It's a great time, but they're inherently unreliable because there's so much fun. So my backup is more like a base parachute, even though it's much smaller, it's packed in the exact same way. I'm a certified rigger through the FAA, just like you explained at the beginning. So I can maintain parachute systems as well as pack emergency systems. So if my main parachute fails in skydiving, I can pull a handle, which would jettison my main parachute and then pull another handle which is going, which is going to um, activate my reserve system and hopefully uh, create deployment and then uh, inflation of that parachute. It has a really low aspect ratio, which means that it's particularly square and um, yeah, it's just super reliable. The same thing with the base parachute. It's has a very low aspect ratio. It's particularly square. It's dumb. It's docile. It's made to work. It, I can do like 20 miles an hour under it the best I'm ever trying, you know? So 
compared to that 100 mile an hour figure is five times slower. It's way more square. It's just more docile. It's more reliable. Um, so yeah, the systems couldn't be further apart um, in what they're trying to do. Got it. Got it. Now with base jumping, if you're jumping off of buildings and bridges, is, is that are there places where it's that's legal or is it illegal? And I've seen some some documentaries of of folks doing base jumping off of uh, buildings in, in in a city, and then having to flee from the police afterwards. What what is yeah. the status there? Uh, yeah, now lots of illegal base jumping out there. I'm not much into it. There's you learn to base jump in the United States at what's called uh, Twin Falls in Idaho. And that is a legal uh, bridge to jump off of. So no problems there. From there, uh, I actually, the only buildings I've really jumped in that one coal tower I told you about uh, was in Panama. And we had a permit from the government to do that. So uh, all the buildings and bridges I have jumped have been legal. I've done a couple illegal antenna jumps, but all of the cliffs are legal to jump here, minus in Moab, minus the uh, national parks. And I don't jump there. So I've got almost 800 base jumps now and I've maybe made fuck five or 10 illegal jumps in my life. And that's polar opposite from my buddy who's down in Atlanta and all he does is jump buildings down there and they're all illegal. Um, so yeah, it's really, you dial your own, you can do whatever you want in this sport and there's ways to make it all legal and there's ways to make it all illegal. It's totally up to you. Now the certifying agency, when you, when you apply for your card, do they require all legal jumps or no, not at all? They do not oh, care. Really? Okay. So, uh, That's yeah, interesting. That, don't, that don't matter. <laughs> that kind of speaks then to the spirit of the sport, right? If the, if the certifying agency says, well, you know, whatever you got. Spirit of base, mate. <laughs> wow. Okay. Now, I have to ask you, my, my buddy Chopper, he's a sometime co-host. He's also one of my hiking buddies. He says, you have to let me know what this guy, what this guy comes across like. Is he really low key or is he kind of twitchy? You know, is he, he really wants to get into, into your mind here. And I'm reminded of Alex Honnold, the uh, free climber. Right. And if you've ever yeah. seen uh, free solo uh, or any, any, any the other stuff he's been in. I was a big real rock seven, real rock six. Yeah. I was a big time climber. I climbed for almost all day, every day, six years before I started this adventure. So yeah. And I'm a big fan of Alex Honnold. He's okay. So uh, Alex, I mean, he has a really, he has a really kind of uh, flat affect and he, he, he says that he just does not feel the fear that most other people feel when he's up there. He, he trains and trains and trains and he knows what he's doing. But I know that, you know, for 99% of the population, if you're, if you're on the side of uh, El Capitan with, you know, a thousand feet below you and you've, you've got no safety gear, I mean, it, that's going to make your heart pump. You're, it's going to, your adrenaline is going to be going, not, not for him though. At least that's, that's what it seems like. And so, I mean, how, what is your adrenaline like with these jumps when you're, when you're doing a, you're doing your normal job and you're, you're, uh, you're with a client. I mean, is your heart really, is it racing? Is it going? Are you excited? Or is it just kind of, uh, this is just business as usual? I mean, it's pretty much like we're talking right now, to be honest with you. I've dedicated, uh, I didn't know it, but ultimately I've been doing this every day, all day for the last seven years. I'm just a kid from Missouri. But, uh, you know, before that I rock climbed for six years. And no, I mean, the fear is, or it was there, I should say. But the fears of the unknown, um, 
And I still have to rock climb, still have to this, that, and the other to get to my exits. The other day I was in, you know, Salt Lake City in Wasatch and we were climbing up 2000 feet of snow. And there was moments where I was looking down, I was like, man, like, so if we slide off of this, like we're, I'm definitely going to die or be severely injured. And my mate looks at me and he's like, so I wasn't expecting this much snow because he just invited me up there. And then he's like, yeah, well, I told you there'd be a little snow. I was like, well, yeah, but I didn't expect to be on a 45 degree angle in my sneakers, like climbing the snow, like boot packing through this. Cause we had my Canadian friend and he's like, oh yeah, well, that's true. More people do usually die on the hike up in like this one mountain. And I was like, so yeah, that's the moment we're in. And I'm just, I'm really thankful for all my training. Um, like without it, I'm sure I, I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing, but yeah, no, I, I feel very similar to that. And that like, if I didn't want to be there and if I was just peaked all the time and I couldn't handle it, I wouldn't be there, but it's something I want to do and something that feels really good. And I, I couldn't truly imagine living without. So, um, yeah, no, I, I'm sure the feeling's very similar. And that even though I don't want to compare myself to Alex Honnold, like in any way or anything like that, because uh, I think he's really cool and one of my heroes. So not trying to do that. But um, yeah, no, I, I feel what he's saying for sure. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's just it's just a nice moment to be in, truly. And if you, I think he says something along the lines of like, you, you get that jolt when something goes wrong slightly. And of course, things are going to go wrong and that's life. But that just snaps you back into like, okay, like now is truly the time to perform. And that, and yeah, that I, I really resonated with those words. I think it was in real rock seven or something like that. It's like, sometimes you slip and that's, that's just the way it goes. And then you keep climbing and you keep moving. So like, I don't think he's without fear. Um, but I think that he just has a way to channel it. And I think that a lot of us have that because otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be able to deal with it day in and day out and you wouldn't want to do it because you'd just be terrified. So yeah, no, I get it. Right. And you mentioned peaked. I'm assuming that means like your adrenaline or your, your heart rate, uh, elevating, right? Yeah. And so which rank them in order, normal, normal skydiving, base jumping and wingsuit flying. What, uh, what, what's the order there in terms of getting peaked or getting that heart rate up? It's always trying something new. Yeah. yeah when, you're, when you're truly trying something new and pushing the envelope, I don't think I can rate it in the way you described okay. but when you're, when you're truly trying something completely new, yeah, you might be on top and go. And like, I put a lot of music over my videos now, but like, if you actually like look through any of my videos, you'll see every single jump starts the same. And when I'm in a new area, I haven't jumped it before, or I'm truly jumping something that I think is like right at my limit. And, um, you know, whatever. Um, you'll hear me just like three times over. Like breathe through it and go, okay, actually, this is something I want to do. So it might elevate for a moment, but if that stayed up there, I wouldn't do it. So like you take a couple of breaths and you go, okay, I'm here. So like, I might reach here at any moment in like these new things. Then you take a couple of breaths and you come right back to level. And then, yeah, like all the other stuff is just pretty much at level because you, you're just doing it all the time. And you're kind of waiting for something to go wrong to like spike you again. And it's not something you want, but it's just something, you know, that's uh, eventually going to happen. So you deal with it. Okay. 
Now let's talk about your base jumps. Do you have any that you are particularly proud of or that any that stand out in your mind as, you know, this was a, a pretty epic experience? Oh man. I mean, I, I could definitely go on and on. Um, I mean, when I was first starting out, it was just beginning to jump off cliffs or even beginning to jump off the bridge. That was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Like I got into skydiving to become a base jumper. And it's like, then you realize that goal and that's really cool. And then even like my first wingsuit skydive, dude, it went terribly. I can't, I can't even exaggerate. It went, I tell, I tell every one of my students, like if your first wing, cause I do a lot of FFCs, which is a first flight score uh, course. So where I teach people how to wingsuit, I have a plane now. I just tell them straight up. I'm like, if your jump goes worse than my first one, like I'll buy your jump for you. I'll pay you back for all this training. Like, because that I would just entertain me to the ump degree. Um, and I don't want it to happen, but I, I can't help but tell them. So I went out the door and I, I felt like, honestly, my training was like a little quick and it was a little cool or whatever. Just like, little like, yeah, just do this, do this and go. And I got my own gear together. I even sewed my own bridle together. Like I made my own extended bridle by sewing it together at my own machine at my house. So like I made my own equipment in a way. And, uh, and I ran up to the guy in the drop zone, just this kid's like, I'm ready. I got all this stuff. He's like, fuck. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's go do this, do that. The other, I was like, sweet. All right. I'm gonna go for it. And I had twice the amount of jumps that you needed. I had 400 skydives instead of 200. So he thought I was overprepared. So I get why I was a little lackadaisical. I go out the door, thousand one, thousand two. He's like, oh, perfect exit. And then I start to flat spin uncontrollably belly back spin, belly back spin, just in a washing machine. Cause I was just too tense and I was fighting and I didn't know what to do. I lost altitude awareness. I fought it all the way down to 5,000 feet. And finally, so I lit a flat spun for a mile and a half through the sky in a wingsuit. And then just finally it was like, dude, just chill out, relax, arch, arch out of it, fly out of it. Look at my altitude. I'm like, Oh, I'm at pull altitude, pull my parachute, not a single line twist. And it was totally fine. But I got down and I was like, dude, I want to be this wingsuit base jumper. I was so demoralized. Like I was so lost. I was like, that was the hardest thing I'd ever did. Everyone said I'd be fine. I I'm mentally broken. Like, damn, this is a tough one. I had to go home and just truly like lick the wounds, sort it out in my own brain, come back the next day. The next jump went a lot better, but like, I, I had to go home and like think it over. And it was, it was rough. Like, <laughs> that was a skydive. And I want to jump these things off cliffs. So anyone out there that thinks that they can just go out and jump off a cliff because they think they're the man and this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. Trust me. I've been there. (laughs) You can't do that. You really just take the time, listen to some people, get some training. You can get there quickly, but like you can cut all the corners you want, but certain corners just don't cut. Like take some time, do the thing and become a wingsuit base jumper but don't try it off a cliff, do it out of a plane first. Trust me. You'll see why once you try it. Boom. (laughs) Now, Joe, you know, what stands out for me in that story is the fact that you sewed some of your own equipment at home. That, that makes me nervous. My, my, I I got, I got a little peaked right there when you were talking, when you, when you said that you sewed sewed your bridle. Yeah. The pilot chute, the pilot chute connects to the piece of webbing that pulls your parachute out of the container. It's the most important part of the system, which is hysterical. I remember showing it to the guy and he's like, yeah, that'll work, I guess. 
And it did. And it, and it worked, I used it for hundreds of jumps. It worked for a long time, you know, it worked great, but uh, wow. yeah, not something I'd really recommend. I don't know. It's just kind of my style. <laughs> yeah. Now you mentioned, you know, there's a big difference between jumping out of a plane with a wingsuit and jumping off the side of a cliff. I mean, what, what, yeah. what are the main differences there? Well, if you flat spin off a cliff, you're definitely going to die depending upon the height of the cliff or get severely injured. If you do have a plane, you have time to recover like a couple miles, thousands of feet. So you can, you have time. So you're giving yourself margin, right? You're giving yourself an opportunity to learn how to fly the wingsuit. We're all going to get into flat spins. We're all going to lose control of our car and be on the side of the road. At some point, we're all going to get a flat tire, right? I can explain wingsuit in the same way. You're going to, you're going to learn out there, but unless you're in Europe, because like the Europeans effectively do, some people do just learn off cliffs, but um, their cliffs are so much bigger. And really, I, I don't know of many people that do it anymore. They probably still learn out of planes. More so they just learn how to fly new suits because there's so many different types of suits. But like, as for beginning, doing it out of plane is just the way to do it because you're giving yourself so much more margin and giving yourself a chance to actually learn in a stress-free, and it's not stress-free, but a less stressful environment. Right. That, that totally makes sense. I mean, you've got a lot of, uh, you got a lot of margin beneath you jumping out of a plane. If something, something goes a little haywire, you can kind of correct, but you have a much, much smaller margin jumping off a cliff and, and less time to, to get it under control and get everything working correctly. Yeah. 180 degrees, less margin. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now you mentioned trigonometry earlier. Tell me about the trigonometry of wingsuit flying. What, what, how, how is that involved? Uh, well, we've got lasers and we have uh, what's called a fly sight. So I have a GPS on my or a little beacon on my helmet that records my position over the ground, my speed, all sorts of different factors. And I can put that in my computer. And then I have a laser, which I can map the terrain with. So I can literally go onto a website. I can record points on my phone with this laser and I can put it onto this website and draw a red line which literally draws like, right. It draws the terrain and then I can fly my wingsuit across the same thing or off something different. And I can show my blue line or my lifeline of exactly what I can perform, how down and out and how down and out, how down and out I am until I land and I can overlay the two over each other. So I can literally walk up to any cliff, map its terrain and then put my last 200 base jumps over it and literally say like, okay, well that's a hundred meters out at 200 meters down. I couldn't survive that. Or that's 20 meters out at hundred meters down. That's easy for me. I'm usually 50 meters out. Right. So it's, it's really actually quite scientific and it's quite fun, which is what's led to like, Honestly, I feel like I'm in the golden era. Like I, I, I just walked into this. I've only been wingsuit base jumping for like four years now, but these cats, it's only been like 10 years that people have been really getting into this stuff and the technology is really advanced. So I just showed up at the perfect time. Like I just am so lucky to have these mentors that were able to show me all this stuff and probably the only reason why I'm still alive, like straight up because uh, yeah, technology is so good in both the computer realm and the gear realm. It's just awesome. I'm super lucky. And you're doing all this trigonometry uh, prior to your, your jump of that new, that new base jump, right? Or that new yeah. uh, wingsuit experience. 
Exactly. Yeah. Right. And some people can do it on the cliff. Like Android actually has an app that you can do it right on the cliff if you have a service. So you could walk up to something new, map it. I have an iPhone. So I actually have to map it with my, I literally just record it on my camera and I map all the points. And if I know it's good, then just because of like the numbers I have in my head, then I'll go for it. But if it's anywhere in the realm of like, I'm not sure, I'll just move to like a different exit or walk down and then go correlate the data and start overlaying all my previous tracks over it and go, okay, so like I have this much margin, I have that much margin, like, and conditions are a big thing to take into it too. So like if I have a headwind, that'll take me up and actually inflate my suit faster and give me better lift and a better start. If I have a tailwind, that's actually going to take me down. So you could get up to something and be like, oh yeah, the numbers are good, but the conditions are bad. So I'm not going to do this or vice versa, right? Right. Complicated. And you, you work that all out in your head up there. That's fantastic. I, and- I do. Per- I do personally. Most people actually will like have an Android and like, yeah. you know, look at me on their phone, but I, I just prefer to like uh, take the time and memorize it and, or uh, just come back later and look at it on the computer that night as opposed to chance anything. Yeah. And with the technology and those apps uh, available, I like the way you phrase it. You're kind of in the golden age right now of wingsuit flying and base jumping. That's a, uh, that's a good place to be is the golden age. It's cool. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird. Gotta be careful. <laughs> All right. Now, other than that, uh, that first wingsuit experience where you're doing the flat spin, any other memorable jumps in the wingsuit? Oh man. So many, but um, yeah, I mean, my first time jumping a Moab, I remember I, I just kind of went out there with some slider off jumpers and just went for it after I got back from Europe after a season. And I did like 75 jumps in a couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, the numbers say I got it. I got it. And I remember talking to my mentor. And he's like, so you're just out here soloing. I was like, no, no, I'm not soloing. I got my mates here. He's like, but they don't wingsuit. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I guess so. I was like, that was kind of like a weird moment. I was like, I guess I'm just kind of figuring it out. But uh, once again, I don't recommend anyone do this. So like, I hope. I'll inspire anyone with this, but it's just kind of what happened to me. Um, and then even my 500th jump in Europe, 500th base jump was in the crack. And uh, which is like a really iconic jump that uh, Jeb Corliss did. It's the one that set to sail and all that shit, you know? Um, and yeah, I just, my mate looked at me and was like, what's the odds that you just like bury yourself all the way in there? I was like, well, I watched the videos from before. So um, yeah, probably pretty good on my first go. I'll probably just go for it. Like, and that's exactly what ended up happening. And then I moved over to this other jump and uh, yeah, which was a high trench. And that was pretty sweet. I actually remember like seeing bugs get smashed onto my camera and like kind of blurring the film. And I was like, well, okay, I must be kind of close to the ground if I'm smashing bugs with my camera. And then even yeah, just the other day in Wasatch, like another one, like you watch someone do it and it was like uh, pretty much like a European line, but it's four hours from my house. And you just pop off and it's a pretty short start. And you're just like cruising through this trench. Like, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, any wingsuit jumps amazing, but there's definitely those several I explained and probably many more that were, uh, yeah, there's really nothing like uh, just being down there in it and just flying a a perfect line in your mind because you survived and yeah, had a really good time and it went the way you thought it would go. Yeah, it's, uh, it's fantastic really. Epic, epic stories right there. What 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 about slider off? What what are, what are slider offs? So slider a slider is a they call it the devil's napkin, or at least some people do. 
it's just effectively four grommets and a piece of material that wraps around your four line groups and slows down the opening of the parachute. So you have it whenever you're terminal, you always have it in skydiving and you have it when not some people don't have it when they're wingsuiting, but effectively you're going terminal. So taking more than like a seven second delay to 10 second delay in a base jumping, because if you didn't, the parachute might kill you when it opened because it would open so fast. But when you want the parachute to open really fast, I you're on like a hundred foot cliff or like sub 500, sub 600 foot cliff, you actually take the slider off the parachute because you need the parachute to open sooner for uh, heading reliability or yeah, maintain heading. I keep it opening this way and not sniveling off into some direction. Um, and yeah, just to open faster like that. Cause if it doesn't, you're going to smash it in the ground and die. Got it. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So on the, on the, the, the big jumps where you have a lot of time, typically you'd have a slider, which would is the exactly. kind of like the preliminary slider up slider up. And on the jumps that are, that are, you don't have a lot of margin when they're the slider they're, down or slider off slider or the down same, or slider or the same off. thing, but Got it. one just actually is rigged. So you could put the slider up or down and one, you just rip the slider off, but it causes the parachute to do the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Pretty much all the jumping here in Moab is slider off unless you're wearing a wingsuit. Okay. Now being a, an instructor, and doing jumps with clients. Any, any favorite stories there of a particular client? We don't have to name the client, but maybe uh, describe the situation that happened. Oh man. Um, I'm just starting I have to imagine. People. I have to imagine there's pretty, some pretty, pretty hilarious stories out there. Yeah. I mean, there, there is, but I'm really just moving into um, starting to instruct more base jumping and have more clients in that realm. So I haven't really done much of that. Really. Most all of my clients are in skydiving. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're all pretty standard. You know, people ask you if you can see the arches from the plane and it's like, well, no, <laughs> like we're 13,000 feet in the air. So no, if you want to see the arches, you got to go to arches. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd have to really think on that one. That's a tough one. I don't think I have anything off the top of my head. All right. Pretty, pretty standard stuff though, really. You just kind of, people don't know. They're really new. They ask some silly questions. It's nothing major. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, I'd say nothing, none of my personal clients, but the silliest stuff I've ever heard of is people literally like I've heard of people jumping. This one guy jumped from a cliff with a wingsuit on and a skydive rig on off of a cliff. And he'd never skydived before done anything. He just like snuck out there in between loads. And he literally, the people said the impact was loud. Like, so he just augured in. So like it, it's... The silliest stuff I've heard of is just once again, like stuff that you knew was going to happen. Like why, why would you go up there and do that? Like, it's so silly. Like just could have gotten a little bit of training, could have taken a year or two to learn something and done the exact same thing. Instead, he was like, I'm just going to go out and do this. And like, it's, it's always a bummer, you know, stuff you don't want to ever see happen, you know? Yeah. All right. Hey, what's, what's next for Joe? What's your next adventure out there? Next big thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm just going to run up to try and run up to Washington and just do some more skydives and see if I can't learn a thing or two from some of the best, like uh, Andy Farrington and all those really cool guys up there in Kapowson, you know, the Red Bull guys and all that stuff because uh, they're gangsters. Um, and yeah, try and run up to Canada and hang out with my boy, Cody Matichuk and see if we can't do some big day hikes, but I've really only got three weeks off of work. So 
Each out of the world's my oyster. We'll see. It's probably Brazil in uh, it's called September, not September, uh, January. I've never been to Brazil. The wingsuiting's great there, so I want to get down there. And uh, other than that, yeah, just keep trying to build up my uh, wingsuit school here. I've had a lot of FFCs lately, so the more students I can get, the better, because I just love sharing wingsuiting with people in a safe and reliable way. So, uh, yeah, that's about it, really. Just keep doing the same thing I've been doing for a long time and see if I can do that till the end of days. Fantastic. Keep grinding out there. Hey, Joe, you know where we are? Uh, I'm in Moab, Utah. I don't know where we at. <laughs> you are in Moab, Utah. That is correct. But we're also at the pro tip insight of the week. Oh boy, right. It's time for you to offer some advice out there to our listeners to make their next outdoor experience better. I know you are, you are geared. You're in the vein of, uh, uh, high flying adventures, but maybe there's something that can apply to all kinds of adventures out there. Yeah. I mean, um, pro tip, here it is. Enjoy the ride, y'all. Like if I've been there, I still, I still want to be the next place I'm going. I know you do too. Um, look around, smell the flowers. Um, listen to the people around you, unless they're total kooks. Disregard them. Duh. Um, but yeah, really, just uh, respect each other. Listen to each other. Take your time out there. I know you want to get where you're going. I do too. But uh. It's really a good ride. It's a good journey. Enjoy it and live it up. Enjoy it while it's happening. Stop looking forward. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Joe. Want to thank him for joining us this week. Joe, once again, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, yeah, at MoabJoe423 on Instagram. That's uh, my biggest platform, really. So, yeah, hit me up there. Any questions, comments, concerns, bring it on. I'm on there quite a bit. I like to post there frequently. And, yeah, that's all I got. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We're on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Joe, you got a TikTok yet? No. I nah. Actually, I did, I did make one, but I posted to it once or twice. And I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. Like, I don't think know, I'm there I I told Ginger Balls that I had a TikTok account for the uh, for the podcast, and he he looked at me and called me a 15-year-old girl. So there you go. It's, it's hip, man. I mean, you got to do what you got to do, but uh, my, I carry my influence in person. I like to talk to people. I, uh, I've i already got one thing I'm kind of managing on the internet. I'm not trying to do any more. I just want to actually dig in more into people and jump more. And Yeah, so that's, that's my business. Everyone else, do what you want to do. Rock on. Nice. Also, if you have comments or clips you want to share with me, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. All right, Joe. Hey, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, YouTube channel, something out there that's going to help our listeners stay connected to the outdoor experience. We're calling this our Adventure Media Recommendation. What do you have for us? A book. Um, I really enjoyed David Goggins' Don't Hurt Me. That was a good one. Um, and this is probably a little different, but thick, not hot. The heart of the boot is teaching. That's a good one too. Um, oh, say, say that again. What was that? Thick not hot, uh, heart of the Buddhist teachings. Okay. Got it. Got it. Thick not Han. I might be saying that wrong. Look up heart of the Buddhist teachings. That's a, that's definitely a really good one. I haven't read enough lately, but when I think of a couple books to recommend, those are two that really stuck with me and I really enjoyed. So yeah, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be down by reading them. 
Okay. Those are both great recommendations. What have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, just one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What, what do we miss today? I don't know. Honestly, I feel like, uh, I feel like we sussed it out pretty well. I got to talk about wingsuit and base jumping, skydiving, my first jump, some fun jumps. Uh, yeah, I'd be, uh, I'd be hard pressed. Come out to see us at skydive Moab sometime. It's uh, fantastic. Yeah. I'll have that in there. We, uh, we love jumping. Bring it on. That's, that's a deal. Do, do I get the Moab Joe rate? Damn right. That will make you a very good deal. It's not a problem, friend. The best. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, that is a wrap from the John Free Community Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Joe? Uh, I love you all. If you're watching this, listen to this. As usual, appreciate your support. Thanks so much. Till I see you. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. The trail is the trail. Embrace the sock. Thank <laughs> you.